I'm inviting you to join me for one of my favorite classes that I'm hosting the third week of June, how to plan, create, and execute a month of social media post in one day. Now, I have to tell you, this is my absolutely favorite class because people get results in real time, and it's been over a year since I've hosted it. Now, even if you've attended this class before, you're going to want to register for it because the team and I have completely revamped the class, and if you attend live, you're going to have the chance to win a private one-on-one coaching session with me. Yes, you and me in a coaching session. So learn how to create 30 days of content so that social media can be one of the easiest things you do for your business, not the hardest. Save your seat at jasminestar.com forward slash plan content. Or if it's easier, just send me a DM on Instagram and I will personally send you that link. Y'all know that I respond to my DMs. Now let's get started with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Jasmine Star Show. Y'all, we are tuning in for episode two of our Crypto Curious series. We could not be more excited. I have never done a live recording of a podcast. I have, however, been to a live recording of a podcast. So picture this, Royce Hall, UCLA. I am there for a live recording of NPR's This American Life with Ira Glass. Okay, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, surprised me with these tickets and I couldn't be more excited. So there I am, we're sitting in the balcony because we didn't have money for like the orchestra seats. And there is Ira Glass alone on a stage with his mixer, telling stories, having music and creating content. I was forever moved. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most ghetto fabulous version of This American Life on the Jasmine Star Show. Like always, I am so excited to have my guest, Daniel, developer, overall amazing, brilliant mind on the social curator team. He is the one that actually spawned a lot of these conversations. So in episode one, as a brief recap before we get into the next most amazing content, is what is an NFT? Why is it important? Where are NFTs stored what is Ethereum and other types of cryptocurrency? And then we kind of built the entire thing with a scaffolding. We needed to focus on the foundation before we moved on to the next big topics. So as a brief recap, we have Christy, our podcast producer. She's behind the scenes. She's the voice of the people. In addition to Pauline, Pauline is a developer at Social Curator as well. And she's also a creative. She's an artist. She's a developer. So she is also vocalizing and staying along with conversation and reading all of the comments. And our ever faithful co-host, who is just like the light of my life at this moment, Daniel, JD, and I talk about you every day. Daniel, <laughs> say hello to the amazing people who are here listening to your brilliance. Hi guys, and thank you so much for J- Jasmine for having me on. Oh my god, this honestly, I'm just happy to talk about this stuff. So mm. yeah, and we are we are so happy to have you this morning. I actually listened back to the podcast. So this morning, as I was getting ready for this podcast, I listened to the first podcast, and Christy and our podcast uh, editor Addison added. A little bit of theme music. And I have to say, the theme yes. music, the theme music that they added. <laughs> okay, right now, Christy's bringing out some air guns. Okay, I have to let y'all know <laughs> the theme music is cheesy as all get out. But, but in the sake of keeping things high budget and like, let's leave a little pause for that music again. All 
right. Uh, we're back and we are here to talk about a lot of great things. We're going to be focusing again on the next level of scaffolding. We want to make sure that these conversations are bite-sized pieces so people take action. We will also be responding to your questions as they come in live during this recording. So let's start off with a very hot topic and our biggest question. Han, Daniel, what is a wallet? Yes, what is a wallet? So the first thing I want to say about what is a wallet uh, is that it's basically your digital identity on the blockchain. It is you in this digital landscape. The way I like to look at it is that opening a wallet on the blockchain is like opening an account on Facebook or opening a bank account with Wells Fargo. Um, it's an address that people can send money to and identify who you are. So I like to look at it as both. You've, you've made an account for Facebook and Wells Fargo all in one. And there are many different options out there for uh, creating wallets. But one of the most popular ways to create a wallet is through MetaMask. MetaMask is by far one of the most popular ways to create an Ethereum wallet. And the way I would do that is I would go to MetaMask.io in your Chrome browser. And there's going to be a download now button right there. And this will allow you to install MetaMask as an extension in your Chrome browser. Okay, so there was a lot of big fancy words that were just used. And I should, it because it bears repeating, we are not giving financial advice, nor are we giving financial recommendations. We're just having a conversation. So you'll hear Daniel say Ethereum, but please know there are different types of cryptocurrency as we discussed in episode one. There's Bitcoin, there's Solana, there's Ethereum, there's different options. And just like different options for currency, there are also different options for wallets. For the sake of streamlining our, our conversation and keeping things as simple as possible for now, we're going to be using MetaMask as a wallet that we're going to have a conversation about. But wallets function very similarly. Is that correct, Daniel? Yeah, a lot of wallets function the exact same way. And like you were saying, MetaMask is, you described like what it is and the, the actual like label for it is a multi-chain wallet. So that basically means that exactly what you just said is that MetaMask can be used for other blockchains, like besides Ethereum. So it can be used for like another chain, like the Binance chain. But yeah, basically MetaMask is the most popular, but you can use it for other currencies out there. Not every single other cryptocurrency, but I'd say a very sizable chunk of them. Okay, that's great. So uh, we're going to be focusing just on that for the sake of conversation. And if you're just getting started, we always recommend is to get your feet wet. Just do something and then iterate from there. So speaking of doing something, can you describe like where does somebody go to get a wallet? And in this case, we'll be using MetaMask as an example. So can you break that down? Yeah, definitely. So you have your MetaMask wallet now installed in your browser. And you're probably sitting there and you're wondering, okay, what do I do next? I have like zero dollars in my wallet and uh, how do I even get things in here? Even that, I remember when I first started with all this, I was like, how how am I moving something from oh, A to Z? Actually, Daniel, I'm going to, okay, great. Number one, only Canadians say A to Z, okay? America, <laughs> we say A to Z, okay? Let's, let's just go there for a second. But I want to back up a little tiny second. I want to get super granular. Right. You would go to metamask.io in your Chrome browser and then you're going to click on the download now. There is a button that says download now. You're going to click on that. And that's going to install MetaMask as an extension in your browser. 
So I just want to make sure that we went through those steps because as you're listening audibly, or if you're watching this video on YouTube, I want you to follow along with us because I want you taking action. So I didn't want to skip over those steps because now that we have the Chrome browser extension for MetaMask, now we have zero in our wallet. So Daniel, we have a wallet, Chrome extension. How do we get money in? How do we add money into our wallet? Totally. So... Uh, there is a way to actually buy Ethereum directly inside the MetaMask wallet, uh, which I find is super helpful for beginners. And it's like uh, pretty frictionless, like it's, it's very easy. But my recommended way to handle this is actually to open an account with Coinbase, um, which is actually a separate entity. It's a separate website. Um, and you can go to coinbase.com and set up a account with them. And they are basically uh, what's called a crypto exchange. So you would go there to Coinbase. And uh, in Coinbase, you would go ahead and provide a bit of information about yourself. So there is a bit of an onboarding flow. But it's super simple if you just follow each step. And uh, once you're done you know, proving your identity, then they let you buy cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana. Uh, but for, the, you know, uh, for this case, we're trying to buy Ethereum, right? So you're just going to look at the list of currencies that are there. You're going to select Ethereum. And there's just this big blue button that says like buy now or trade now. And then you just enter how many uh, Ethereum you want. And it'll also tell you how much that's worth in US dollars. So you will have to connect your bank account or credit card. Uh, I find the credit card is always the easiest way, even though it, there is slightly more fees. It's like instantaneous and Maybe this is just me, but instantaneous is always the best for me. Oh, that's so you. That is so you. Okay, I want to pause here. I want to pause here because there's two things. So if you have ever had the ability or the luxury to travel internationally, there's a good chance that at the airport or somewhere nearby the airport, you're exchanging your dollar for a peso in Mexico or your dollar for a euro in, say, Italy or your dollar for a pound if you're in England. Very similarly, Coinbase is kind of like that booth in the airport that's going to be converting your currency into cryptocurrency. Do I understand that correctly, Daniel? That's perfect. That's exactly what it is. Okay, so I've, I love telling stories. I, we have to paint a visual. We have to put people <laughs> where they are and make it less feel like less theoretical and more practical. But let's take time for another story because I'm about to spill the tea. And I do have the permission from a friend who will remain nameless for the point of this conversation. But it was this person's first time converting her dollars into Ethereum. And then what she wanted to do was have a small test. And this is what Daniel definitely recommends is once you've put your dollars and you've converted them into, let's just say, Ethereum, like my friend, you always want to test sending the money to your wallet to make sure that you have the right wallet address. We're going to get to that in a second. Well, she sent over a tiny bit and it showed up. And then she tells me, I want to send over $50,000. And I was like, oh. and so she made that transaction and it didn't show up in her wallet. And from Coinbase, it had said, your Ethereum should show up in your wallet by this date. And it didn't. And then two days later, she calls me and is like, should I be freaking out, Jasmine? It's not there. And so what she comes to find out is like, 
I have a smart friend and his name is Daniel. So I want to look like the smart friend to my smart friend. So I call my other smart friend and I was like, hey, this is what happened. What should she do? And then what did you tell me? Right. So in this case, I was telling you, she should probably reach out to the exchange because uh, if she sent it to the same address that she previously sent it to, the the transaction would have passed and it would have showed up inside her her wallet. So the only place where this probably didn't go as expected was on the exchanges side of things. So I would talk to Coinbase and, and ask them what happened. Okay. And this was the fascinating thing because I told her, I actually did let her know. I was like, Hey, this is not coming from me. This is coming from like really smart Daniel. I said, you just need to reach out to Coinbase. And she said, I can reach out to Coinbase. And this was like a whole new thought because in her mind, and just in case anybody's here and maybe you, you're not working with $50,000, maybe you're working with something much, much, much smaller, but still money is money. You could absolutely reach out to Coinbase and say, Hey, can you let me know what happened? So kind of wanted to put that story out there because when you're thinking about, you're standing in the airport and you're exchanging your currency for a different type of currency, there's a person on the other side of the window. And ladies and gentlemen, there's a person on the other side of the digital window. So you're not completely alone. That should add a little bit more confidence. Can I get an amen? Okay, amen. That nobody said amen. That's that's no problem. No problem, Daniel. I'm just going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going. Uh, no. I don't know if you're asking me for an amen or that for an amen. 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 I, honestly, anybody, anybody who will talk back to me, that's who I'm asking it for. Okay. So, uh, so we have zero in our wallet. How do we add money? We talked about going to Coinbase. We shared a little bit of stories. Now, I have Ethereum in my wallet. What do I do now? Right. So now if you have Ethereum, so you, I mean, you've gone through that whole process, right? You, you sent a test transaction to your wallet, which again, I think that's really important. And that's like the great moral of that story from your friend is sending that test transaction to make sure you've got the right address. And now you've sent all your money into your MetaMask wallet, right? So at this point, let's check out some NFTs, right? We, I mean, that's what the whole point of this series is. We want to, we want to get stuff in our wallet. Now we have the funds. Let's go explore and let's go find some things to buy. Oh, so before we do that, because I always just liking like throwing you for curveballs, uh, Paige had asked, can you speak to the safety security? Like maybe not doing this on public Wi-Fi. I think that before we actually go and make a transaction, can we speak to, to the security aspect? Totally. If it's about Coinbase, I'd say, well, actually in both cases, you're safe. As long as you see that there's a little lock icon in the top left corner of your uh, browser, that little uh, icon is telling you that your connection to the website is encrypted. And in tech terms, that's HTTPS, um, which I believe stands for Hypertext Transfer Protocol. And I think the S is secure, but I, I really can't be sure about the S. But You're so HTTP, smart, Daniel. <laughs> it's, it's just like a standard internet thing that protects everyone across the web. HTTP is like the insecure version, as in anyone in a public Wi-Fi can uh, see like the communications that are going on between your computer and something off the network. Um, versus when it's HTTPS, the connection between you and Coinbase's servers is encrypted. And even if there is someone on the same network as you, they even if they intercept uh, that information, they can't understand it. And then the second thing that, even if that this wasn't part of the question, is transacting with your wallet in a public setting, right? If you're on a public Wi-Fi, I think this is also fine because even if you're using MetaMask uh, in a public network, no one can impersonate you and no one could really, even if they intercept the signal, 
they can't do anything about it because they don't have your private keys, right? So a wallet has a public key, which is the address you send money to, and a private key, which is like the password to your wallet. Um, that's the best way to describe it. But both of those things are really long numbers and letters, the private keys and the public keys. Okay, so we're going to pause there because I want to loop us back. But before we do, I want to give a shout out to Austin who's listening. This is something that Daniel was going to get into, but it's succinct right here. Buying crypto on Coinbase is great, but it's also good for people to understand that you don't own the currency until you actually have it in your wallet. So this is good as a reminder for beginners to know. Just like, remember, we're in the airport at the conversion stand and we've turned our dollars into pesos. It is best to what? Put them in your wallet. Same thing with Coinbase. Make sure that the money that you're, the currency that you're transferring for cryptocurrency or exchanging for cryptocurrency is actually going in your wallet. So shout out to Austin for reminding us to set things up properly. So we are back. Uh, we have a theorem in our wallet. Now, what do we do? Right. Actually, I do want to speak to what Austin was saying too. It's That's definitely uh, 100% true. Leaving your money in an exchange does leave you vulnerable because again, these are centralized entities, right? And if you're thinking about uh, blockchain and decentralization, you want to put your money in a place where you have the power to do whatever mm. you want with it. And that's why I still do recommend Coinbase to a lot of beginners and why I did mention it in this podcast is because it's a really great way to onboard people into this ecosystem. But once everyone really starts getting like an understanding of how this all works, you know, they're going to understand, you know, I want to leave my money in, let's say my MetaMask wallet somewhere that's not centralized. So yeah, I definitely thank you so much, Austin, for, for pointing that out. We're going to tap here for a second. I just want to, I want to repeat it again for the people in the back. There are two sets of keys, public facing. This is why I can be like, Hey, Daniel, send me four ETH. Okay. I can give him my outward facing address so he could send that to me. But there's a different key that is only I get access to that I can transact on behalf of. Did I understand that correct, Daniel? That's right. You can only say like, if you say I'm Jasmine and I sent $5, your private key is what you use to prove it. Like your wallet Mm -hmm. will do some under the hood magic that will say, look, cryptographically, I can prove this came from me, Jasmine. And now I, I can't say the same thing because I don't have your private key. Um, your private key is like, it's like a signature, right? It's, it's like uh, when you sign a contract and you put Jasmine Star, like I can't mimic your signature. And the saying goes, not your keys, not your wallet. And that's something that Austin was pretty much getting to right there, which is if you don't own the keys, for example, with Coinbase, you don't know what your private key is. If you don't know your private key, you don't own that wallet. Okay, so Ashley says, I have cryptocurrency. And it's not mine unless I cash it out to my wallet. Right. Uh, it's a bit of a semantic thing, really, because it can be in your Coinbase account and you still do have the power to use it and send it. It's just that there is like a risk. It's like walking around with like a bag full of cash in your hand, right? You are almost like a target uh, because it's easy to steal. It's easy to hack into a, a centralized platform and, you know, maybe steal several people's wallets, right? Versus if everyone has their money in a decentralized place, like in MetaMask, you can only hack one person at a time. And that's really difficult to even hack one person because you have to somehow get their keys. So think about this. We're at the airport again and I give my dollars and I get pounds and I'm walking around with a stack of pounds in my hand. Theoretically, it's mine, but somebody can run right by and grab it versus if I got the pounds, put them in a wallet, tucked in my purse, 
it's safer and it's on me and is in my possession. But we're talking about centralized and decentralized. The same way that somebody can get into a bank account and hack is the same way that somebody can get into Coinbase. So I don't want anybody to freak out and be like, no, no, no. If your money's in Coinbase, it's unsafe. It's just as unsafe in Coinbase as it is as Chase or Wells Fargo. Just, oh, spitting that out. So let's all take a collective deep breath. And hey, <laughs> if anything, your wallet is safer. So we went from Coinbase, put the money in our wallet. We're talking about MetaMask. As an example, now we want to do some shopping and we want to do some shopping because we're here talking about NFTs and what does this mean? So what do we do? Where do, where do we find the right NFT for us? Right. So uh, my biggest recommendation to anyone who's just getting into this is OpenSea. OpenSea is literally one of the most popular NFT exchanges out there. Um, and at least for me, if you're investing in these things, you want to go where there's the most foot traffic and the biggest market, right? You know, a lot of people like to sell things on eBay because there's lots of people on eBay versus some other, like maybe Craigslist or something, right? I mean, eBay is like the place. So that's where I like to sell my things. So yeah, OpenSea. So O-P-E-N-S-E-A dot I-O. That's where you would go if you want to uh, get started on your NFT adventure. So I'd like to kind of break down what an NFT exchange is first before we really hop into like, using OpenSea and all of those nitty gritty details. So I do have just, I have two metaphors. One of them is a little bit more heady and one is like a library metaphor. So I'll get to the second one in a bit. Let's start with the easy. Yeah. I was like, dude, let's go to the library first. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You want the library first. Okay. okay. Yes, for sure. Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I would like everyone right now to imagine NFTs as books, right? So one NFT is one book. And a blockchain is a library. So you have all these books that are in the library. So when your data is centralized, imagine the library is closed off to the public and only a few lucky people are allowed to enter the library and read the books. So that's like, for example, Facebook. Only a few people are actually able to access Facebook's data centers. All of us are left in the dark about what happens in there. But... With decentralized data, anyone could walk into the library and read a book. And now this is where I like to tie it all up is MetaMask is your library card. So that allows you to get into the library. OpenSea is one of the many librarians available to you that can show you around. That was freaking amazing, man. That was amazing. But maybe it's just because I, I, I was homeschooled my whole life. And like me and librarians, I aspired. Mrs. Bloom at West Covina Library, shout out to the queen herself. I bow down. So MetaMask is your librarian. At a library, we all have access to, but MetaMask is your library card. That's right. Okay, but get now now give us the heady one because like y'all, like Daniel, I always tell Daniel, like Daniel, make it easy for me. But for all the people, all the smart Valley Victorians in the place, what's what, tell me the, the heady one. Okay, here's, here's the heady one. So right, there are many NFT exchanges out there. And all NFTs are freely available for us to be read from the decentralized blockchain. So already this is feeling like overwhelming when I say it, but <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> and so that means uh, we can choose our preferred gateway slash viewer and get access to the whole portfolio of NFTs that are available on the blockchain. So 
not as easy to stomach, but it's like <laughs> it kind of gets us a little bit more to, into technical grounds. Like okay. OpenSea is like a gateway. Okay, okay. What well, I would just like to know that that was a subtle, low key tech flex. Like Daniel wants to prove that he doesn't just need to talk about library cards and librarians that he can get into the mumble beep beep of all of <laughs> <laughs> the smart kid chatter. So that was very helpful. Now I want to point out that OpenSea a.k.a. your librarian, there are multiple librarians. But we want to make sure that just for the sake of this conversation, we're going to focus in on this particular librarian. This librarian is going to go in and going to show you the types of books, a.k.a. NFTs, you want to be reading. So let's go in and like let's put somebody in like for the podcast, right? You're going to go to OpenSea, O-P-E-N-S-E-A dot I-O. And then you're going to just start browsing and you're going to scroll until you find something that catches your eye. But what are we like, what are we really looking for? Let's get a little bit technical. Like this is just somebody you're like, hey, I really like these stoner cats or hey, I really like V friends or hey, I had a friend, Daniel, I even told you about this friend who wanted to buy a bored ape. Yeah, a bored ape, $158,000. This person wanted to buy a bored ape. Now, for somebody who's listening and you're like, what? A bored ape? Yes, it is a cartoon of an ape that looks bored. Now, Daniel, can you explain a little bit about like what makes that NFT, a bored ape, a cartoon worth over $100,000 and then NFTs that are worth 30? Like what, what happened there? Like how did it get there? Using that as an example. Totally. So it's, it's really honestly a mixture of many different factors. One of them being, and this is the one I always lean on for, I mean, my cryptocurrency arguments and everything, is people will give value to something based off of whatever value it has to them. So we set the value of things. Like you were saying in the last episode, like Gucci bags are Gucci bags because we all agree that Gucci is a, is a high-end brand. And it, it's, it's a subtle flex, you know, like, I got my Gucci purse. And mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But... The second thing is for me is the community. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to go back though. Let's drill this down. What Daniel just said is that Gucci is your subtle flex. Like, oh, I got my Gucci. But like, I'm going to tell you, as a girl from the hood, you can floss your Fuchi that look like a Gucci and you can't do that in blockchain because whatever that version of Gucci is, people know. Why? It's on the blockchain. So there's going to be no Fuchis or Hoochies on the blockchain. It's just Gucci. (laughs) So let's just have a moment for that. Let's have a moment for the appreciation that fakes will be much less likely, if likely at all. So shout out to the Gucci toting proverbial NFT holding bad A's in the house. Okay. So now that we have that and we're talking about, we put a value on something. And then the second part was community. And this is where to me, the gangsters dwell. Can you break that down for us? Absolutely. So Community, uh, at least when I'm looking for a good NFT project, is one of the biggest factors in the success of the whole project. A few ways you can check for that is looking at their Twitter, looking at their Discord, and seeing, not even looking at the numbers, even though that is a small part of it, but looking at the engagement. Do people really believe in this project? Are they excited for the creators? Are they constantly keeping up with any news uh, that's going on within the project? Are there perks that people are getting by being part of this community? Is this a form of networking? And I think that's a big part of what's happening at, you know, with the Bored Apes, right? It's becoming a networking tool. 
you, there are exclusive parties that you can go to if you have a bored mm-hmm. ape in your possession. So it's all these things that add value to a project. And then, yes, there are the other things like scarcity, knowing that there's only this many of this NFT, or if the creator already has a reputation for being a very high value creator. So I think those things all, you know, contribute to the value of a project. Okay. So let's break this down one more time. Like how does an NFT increase over time? Like how does it get more expensive or how is somebody attributing that value to it? And number one, Daniel established that we associate value. The more that somebody wants a particular thing, the more that it begins to cost over time. Secondly, there is a community of people who see the value and start hyping up that particular thing. And then thirdly, that there could be additional things that are added that enhance the value of it. So let's just break this down in a very personal example. And I said I wasn't going, I thought to myself, I even told my husband, I'm not going to mention it. But here I am mentioning it. It's only episode two. It's only episode two. Okay, so I started really, I really wanted to dig into what like NFTs were. And I started my kind of adventure in it in 2021. And it was around that time that Gary Vaynerchuk dropped, he was announcing that he was going to get into the NFT space. And for those of you who don't know, I know, I know some people are not about him. Like Gary Vaynerchuk is he's a unicorn in my life. It's like, I call him Gare Bear. Just this morning, JD and I were having conversations about Gare Bear. Like he's the thing. And he's the person who helped me get off the fence and have a better understanding of it. I didn't know what I was doing, but just like Gary was laying things out, like this is a MetaMask, this is Ethereum, like go and do it. Like he was laying out what I needed to do to set up my wallet, to, to buy it. And he was going to drop his NFTs on May 5th because he likes the number five. Well, there was a little bit of complications. He doesn't end up dropping them for another two weeks. It was day one of the drop, and I was on the phone with my husband on the freeway screaming, get me one, anyone. I was literally Veruca Salt on Willy Wonka on the Chocolate Factory. I was like, but I want a new Loompa, and I want it now. She said, the Veruca, sweet Harlem shelling peanuts. That was JD being like, I don't know what you want me to do. I was like, get anyone. Now, Looking back at what had happened on that day, I should have waited. It was like a five-day drop and Gary was dividing out his NFTs over a specific number of days. And on day one, it was like, it was voluminous. Everybody wanted to get in. It was driving up the cost of the drop. It was driving, like gas fees were so expensive that day. Now, here's the thing that happened is that once those five days were over and whoever was gonna get an NFT got an NFT. Let's go back to what Daniel said. Number one, we put value on what it is. And there was a lot of people who wanted Gary Vaynerchuk first time drop NFTs. When a lot of people want something, the costs begin to go up. That happened. Number two, Daniel mentioned this thing called Discord. Discord, think of this as like a social media conversation platform. All you do is use text. There's no videos. There's no flashy photos. It's literally just text. It is a text-only community. That's called Discord. 
Gary had a Discord and said, I'm going to be spending a lot of my NFT time and a lot of my NFT focus in Discord. That was the first time I joined Discord. And I was like watching the conversations, learning what NFTs were about. So there's this community who keeps on hyping up what they want to buy, when the next drop is, what they're selling it for. So it kind of became a group of people super focused on number one, investing, protecting their investment, enhancing their investment. And then what happens is when Daniel said point number three, you can add things to it. Well, what Gary did is he dropped an NFT and part of the NFT is that you get access to a conference. And the only way you get to go to the conference is if you have a Gary Vaynerchuk NFT. The conference is called VFriends. Watch me turn up in Minnesota in May 2022 as a VFriends holder. Now, from a consumer side, from a consumer side, I made an investment that has now increased in the past, it hasn't even been a year. It has increased, it's more than tripled in the past year. So I think to myself, wow, that was great value. Gary Vaynerchuk's NFTs ended up in the top 10 of all most successful traded NFTs in 2021 and he launched in May. I'm not gonna geek out, but like, just let that settle. Number two, the community was hyping up and driving up the value and protecting the value. And then number three, there was something associated with this digital NFT in a physical space, AKA his conference. So now that we have those things, and now that you're on OpenSea and you're scrolling and you see all of these pieces, all of these art things, and you're like, I don't know what to get. Don't buy immediately. Go back and follow the three steps that Daniel had outlined. Number one, if somebody is charging $100 or like 0.8 ETH or 0.6 ETH, ask yourself, is that value substantiated by what? Then you dig into the community. There's a lot of people active and talking about it and hyping it up and waiting for the next drop and thinking about how it's gonna iterate. That's a very good sign. The community will protect the value that has been associated. And then number three, as a benefit, do you get anything else in addition to it to sweeten the deal? Did I get that right? That's right. And the only extra thing I'd add is the creator. The creator is a big part of it too. I've followed a lot of NFT projects where I followed the creator on Instagram because I loved their art. And then I heard they were dropping an NFT and I was like, I need to get in on that. Mm. Okay, this is really, really good. So as we go on and we are scrolling and then we find something, what then do we do? We find, let's just say, NFTX, and we've done the dual diligence. We like the artists, we believe in the community, we like the value, and perhaps we get a little, a little something extra. What then do we do? Yeah, hit buy. Just, <laughs> there's going to be a big blue button. It's going to say buy now. <laughs> the thing you're going to want to do before that is you're going to want to log into OpenSea with your MetaMask wallet. So like we were saying earlier, you install MetaMask wallet into your uh, browser as an extension, right? And in the top right corner of OpenSea, there's going to be this little circle. It's going to look like a profile icon. Once you click it, it should either say sign in or it'll automatically pop like a window into your face and it'll it'll show you uh, some text saying that this is OpenSea and whether or not you want to log in. And you're just going to hit the blue button in MetaMask and uh, then it, it does some cryptographic magic under the hood to prove that you are you and now you are signed in to OpenSea. So this is, again, one of the beauties of decentralization. There's no user password combinations. It's just, this is my digital identity. I can prove it cryptographically with my wallet, and now I am signed in. 
Um, so now that you're signed in, it's time to purchase the NFT, right? So there's going to be a blue buy now button uh, on the page when you're looking at the NFT. And once you hit that, there's going to be another MetaMask wallet uh, window that's going to pop up. And that's going to show you a breakdown of how much it's going to cost for that NFT plus gas fees. And we're going to get into gas fees in a second. Probably one of my least favorite things to talk about in crypto because it always upsets me so much. But it's a big part of purchasing NFTs too. So if we want to jump into that now, I can jump into that oh, right I'm now. I'm ready. I'm ready to jump into gas fees, but not before giving a shout out to Andrea. She said, I just opened my digital wallet. So as she is watching this conversation, she's following along. So this means to anybody else who's listening that in the past 15 minutes, Andrea and many people like her are deploying against the strategy, not for perfection, but for action. Because right now, if all you're doing is listening, it's great but you're actually not doing. And what we want you to do is do so you become comfortable learning a new language using a new currency. And speaking of currency, let's go in and talk about gas fees. What are gas fees and why are they so expensive? Right. So you just bought that NFT. It gave you that breakdown. Let's say it was $300 for that NFT. And then you saw like, what, $50 in fees? What the heck just happened, right? So you just paid for fees on top of the price of your NFT. Um, and these are called gas fees on Ethereum. Um, and I like to think of gas fees as something similar to transaction fees that you pay mm -hmm. when you conduct a PayPal transaction or when you swipe your credit card. There are fees associated with all of these payment providers to keep their networks going. So... Gas fees are a payment you make to the network to process your transaction. And this payment incentivizes computers on the blockchain. So actually, let me roll back real quick. Do you remember in the last episode when we were talking about uh, how everyone has a spreadsheet of all the transactions? Yes. And exactly. So you're, you're, you're keeping track of all the transactions. I'm keeping track of all the transactions. And, the, and we collect fees to be incentivized to continue tracking all of these transactions. So now when I make a transaction, I'm paying people on the network to add it to all of their uh, spreadsheets. That was good, Daniel. That was good. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, the payment is this gas fee incentivizes computers on the blockchain to take your transaction and add it to the spreadsheet, right? And by spreadsheet, I mean blockchain. We're adding it to the blockchain. And uh, now for the unfortunate part, why are they expensive right now? Why is it so much? I've seen some fees go up into like the hundreds of dollars sometimes. And it was uh, definitely a no-go. I was like, this is a problem. But the good news is they are expected to, to, to decline soon to almost below a dollar again. The reason why they're so high is because Ethereum never expected this kind of traffic. There are so many transactions happening on Ethereum every second that it just wasn't built with the expectation that this many people would be using it at once. But again, the good news, the fees are going to go down because the Ethereum team, the developers behind Ethereum are working to make it better. And they're doing a bunch of coder magic under the hood to make it more efficient and handle more transactions per second. This is good. This is really good. So I just want to like parse this down a little. If you have just enough ETH in your wallet 
And you're like, I can, I can get this NFT. I have just enough. You have to make sure that you're accounting for gas fees, aka those transactions that are needed. So I want to keep, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind as you're looking at NFTs that you can afford and buy. So what we have talked about from the beginning of this episode, and we're going to get, we're going to get Pauline to recap to make sure that we're everybody's on the same page. But we have identified what a wallet is and how to get one. And then we have put cryptocurrency in our wallet. And then we've gone to OpenSea to look for an NFT that we that we like. And we're like, okay, this is the one. And we've substantiated it by those three tips that Daniel had given us and it's resonating with us. And we have just enough in our wallet to cover the NFT and gas fees. Great. So we bought it. Where is our NFT? Right. Where does it exist? And that's a, that's a great question. Your NFT is on the blockchain. Even though you can see it in OpenSea, even though you can see it inside your MetaMask wallet, it is still on the blockchain. But now that you bought it, whenever someone reads the blockchain, they can see that your wallet address is the rightful owner of that NFT. So this is public and cryptographically verifiable. So people can see this and they can say, definitely, Jasmine owns this NFT. So like I was saying, you'll see it in MetaMask, you'll see it on OpenSea, it'll be on your profile. And that's what I love about OpenSea is it's kind of like a gallery, right? When you land on someone's profile, you're going to see everything they own. And it's kind of like a statement of their character. But again, I don't want anyone to confuse that with the ownership being in OpenSea. OpenSea is just reading the blockchain. They're just reading that spreadsheet and they're seeing that this user owns this NFT. So that's what the blockchain is doing. So going back to the library analogy... That when somebody walks in the library and chooses to read a book, when they open the cover of that book, it says, this book belongs to Jasmine Starr. That's right. And if I decide to sell that book, my name will still be in the book, but another user will be and saying, this person currently owns this book, but it was previously owned by Jasmine Starr. That's right. We get the whole history of the owners of that, of that book. I have a question about the fees, Daniel. And I, I feel like if I have this question, there's I can't be the only one, right? Is there is there only fees when you're purchasing an NFT or are there fees when you're transferring money from your Coinbase to your account to your wallet? And are there fees when you're buying Ethereum? Like, are, are the only fees associated when you're actually buying the NFT? That's a good question. There, there are fees that are part of every action on the blockchain. It's a give and take, right? Because, you know, it is decentralized and you need to incentivize pretty much everyone on the network to continue maintaining it. So when you're transferring Ethereum, there is a small fee uh, that you have to pay to the network, but the fees are much larger when you're buying NFTs because you're actually, if you remember what we were saying in the last episode, you are actually executing programs on the blockchain. Um, And those are more expensive than just saying this value was moved from this wallet to this wallet. Yeah, so it's that that's the that's the difference there. Okay, I have one more question. Sorry. Again, if I have a question, I feel like somebody else has to, right? When purchasing Ethereum on Coinbase, can you give us a ballpark how much like I have no concept, right? Of like literally am I t- are we talking $50? Are we talking $500? Are we talking $5,000? Are we talking $50,000? Like how much money is going to get you an NFT? So like how much should you be putting into your wallet about? Obviously, this is not legal advice. I'm just literally wondering ballpark. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'd say at the, at the time of this recording and based on my experience at this point, if I, let me go from, from beginning to end on like 
where you're paying fees at uh, what step. So you have put money into Coinbase, uh, US dollars into Coinbase, and now you're going to buy Ethereum with it, right? There's going to be a Coinbase fee. So that's just a centralized fee that they charge. It's usually about $5 in my experience. That, so if you, you know put $1,000 in and turn it into Ethereum, you're maybe going to lose $5 in fees. So now you want to transfer that Ethereum out of Coinbase and into your MetaMask wallet, right? That's going to be also roughly about $5 in my experience, at most 10 And those are actually Ethereum fees. These are fees that you're paying to the network to keep it maintained. And now you have your Ethereum in your wallet, and now you're about to purchase an NFT. And this is where it could really vary. I've seen it go from $7 to $300 in fees. Lately, it's been a little bit lower. I've been seeing uh, NFT fees going down to like $27. But yeah, I'd say it's always changing. And the dream and the hope is that it's going to be consistently below a dollar across the board. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. I love that. So uh, Rebecca asked, how often should you hold on your NFT before you sell it? That is the million dollar question. <laughs> you know, I was asking myself that the other day when, uh, actually, I think I was telling you, Jasmine, yesterday how I sold an NFT and it's gone up since I sold it, but it also had tripled before I sold it. So it's like, I felt good selling it at the time, but there's always that seller's remorse where you're like, oh, if I just held on a little longer, but it's really, it's a give and take in there too, right? Because if you hold too long, what if it goes down? down. And so it's really, uh, you need to, there's a bit of intuition, mm-hmm. uh, but then also kind of like having a pulse on like what's going on in the community. Is something big happening? In that sense, it's almost like trading stocks, right? You're listening to mm-hmm. the news. You're trying to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Marisol asks, how can I resell an NFT? Definitely. So literally you'll be in your OpenSea dashboard. You'll be on your profile and uh, you'll see the list of all your NFTs. You'll click on one of the NFTs and where there used to be a big blue buy button, there'll be a big blue sell button. Um, and then the, there might be like a listing fee on OpenSea, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but once you pay that fee, then you're able to see the NFT for sale. And anyone can either bid on it or just buy it at a price that you set. Mm. Okay. And just for further clarity, Andrea had asked, I see you can buy from MetaMask. Can you get money into your wallet there or do you need Coinbase? Right. So uh, if, I'm rem- if I'm remembering correctly, there is a way to purchase Ethereum directly in MetaMask. Uh, they use like some third party providers um, that are also centralized like Coinbase. Uh, unfortunately, with getting any US dollars into the ecosystem, you're going to have to go through a centralized exchange first. But once you have your cryptocurrency, you're free to go out the gates and do whatever you'd like with it with all the decentralized providers out there. Okay, so basically the answer is you don't need Coinbase, but you will still need some sort of third-party representation to get it into your wallet. Exactly. Right. And that's what we just want to be very clear. We're not proponents of MetaMask, Coinbase, Ethereum, Solana, like we're, we're, or Bitcoin. We're just talking about this language and getting us familiar with it. So Daniel, do you think it's going to be better for us at a later point in time to talk about like how are taxes going to work with NFTs? Yeah, that's a good question that would probably be best to handle like in the later okay, episode because it's just... That's I know, heavy. right? We're going to... I'm, I'm like, I don't even know what's going on there. <laughs> okay, good. So we'll make sure that Christy yeah. makes a note of that. Uh, I'm going to invite Pauline. Pauline, do you want to come on and give a recap of this episode? I want to make sure that we hit all the points and that we were as clear as possible. So starting from the beginning, I know that... So the wallet is like our digital identity on the blockchain. 
And there's like a lot of different kinds of wallets that you could use, but MetaMask is one of them. And it's the most popular option for Ethereum. And once you have your wallet set up, you can either purchase or exchange dollars for Ethereum either within MetaMask or you can use Coinbase. But once you do it on Coinbase, it's not technically in your wallet until you actually connect it to your wallet using the private key, correct? Okay. And then, so once you have it set up in your wallet, like it's time, right? It's ready to get going, get into NFTs and maybe purchase them. And OpenSea is like a popular option to see different NFTs that you can buy. And so on OpenSea, once you find one that you want, you can click buy and then you get certain gas fees for this transaction. And I believe OpenSea is also like the library, right? Where you can, like the blockchain, that's what's great about it, decentralized. So you can see a portfolio of what you own or like what everyone else owns. And I guess I'm a little confused about OpenSea actually, because not only can you view other people's, you're able to per make purchases on OpenSea too, right? That's right. Correct. Yeah, you can see other people's NFTs and purchase them. Okay, so that brings me to my next question. Um, what if I decide that I don't want an NFT? Is like a certain setting that I have to make? Like what if what di differentiates an NFT that I want to keep versus maybe one that is open to other people to buy or purchase like from me? Like how does that work? Right, like you're trying to, like you have this NFT in your possession, but you don't want to keep it, so you want to sell it, right? Is, is that the... Yeah. Yeah, in that case, uh, you mark it as like, I, wa I want this to be sold, right? With the big blue button that says sell now. And the thing is, you're going to have to wait for someone to take it off your hands. <laughs> if no one takes it off your hands, it's in your wallet. But yeah, basically someone has to purchase it, and then that NFT goes from your wallet to the next person's wallet. Okay, got it. So it's not like... If I want to keep it, like, I'm afraid that someone's going to purchase it for me. Like, I would have to click that it's, like, on sale. Yeah, you'd have to say that this is for sale and I want someone to purchase it. Yeah, there's no way anyone can just take your NFTs. So that's that's what's beautiful about decentralization. No one's taking anything from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I hope that covered everything. Did I miss anything? No, great job. Like you hit it. So congratulations, thank Daniel. Thank you for being such a great professor and breaking this down. Now, I know that this episode was so much more heady. Next week, we're going to get into the nitty gritty. We're now, now that we know the language, now that we know the territory, now that we know about currency, and now that we know about gas fees, what we really then want to drive home and do and focus on is, okay, now let's put NFTs to work. What does it mean for us in the business capacity? What does it mean for us to create NFTs? What does this mean for like the long-term bigger picture for our business? Looking forward to episodes three, four, and five. Daniel, thank you so much for thank joining you. me today. It is so generous of your time and your brilliance. Thank you for making it easy. And yes, uh, Dana Vital in the chat said this was meaty. Oof, that's right, y'all. That is right. It was so meaty. Y'all deserve a glass of wine. Digest it with a glass of red wine, except for you, Daniel. Um, not until you're 21. All right, y'all. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much. And y'all, I appreciate you listening to the Jasmine Star Show. This is a new episodic adventure for us. We have never done this before. If you'd like to stay up to date and you want to see future episodes, if you would like to have access to the audio recordings and the videos and a space for your notes and outlines, the amazing social curator team has created a resource for you. Y'all can go to jasminestar.com forward slash NFT checklist. That's going to be your goods, y'all. I look forward to recording this again live next week. And I look forward to seeing you there. Take care. Have a good one. Bye, y'all. Bye.